And once again, I'm learning my lesson. Whoops, wrong, wrong button. All right, so here we go. This is gonna be the messiest tech. Hang on a second. Welcome to the show, The Suicide Prevention Show. And I am Jackie Simmons, the host of the show. We are here to make suicide a thing of the past, especially teen suicide, but it's about all ages and it's about all possibilities. So this is the most amazing time and I am super happy that you are with me. Why do I think this is amazing? Oh, because I forgot. I didn't show you what was amazing. Here we go. Ta-da! The most amazing Mr. Dan McPherson. And we're going to be taking this conversation into success and what happens when success breaks your heart. So Dan, there you are, magic, poof. Boom, here I am. Ta-da, I do love this. It is so much fun. Oh, wow, it is gorgeous where you are. So. Uh, yes, thank you. Dan McPherson, you are one of my favorite people. And it's not just because we met when you know, I got to be interviewed by you, but it's because you bring a perspective into this conversation around success that I don't think enough people talk about. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. And you are one of my favorite people as well. I am passionate about what we are doing here. And I, and I say we because I think so many people are surrounding and supporting what you are doing in these two days that it really is a we. And it's such an incredibly important message topic I, i've i've spent this week absorbed in dozens if not hundreds of conversations about it so thank you for what you are doing and i believe passionately that leaders need to be unashamed to speak about these issues and to face them and that, and i'm confident and that i know how many leaders do suffer with it as well well you know it is an equal opportunity challenge and one of the things I found fascinating is that when I started opening these conversations, every person I speak to tells me how hard their demographic, their psychographic, how hard their tribe is being hit by the epidemic of suicide, not the pandemic, but the suicide epidemic. And so I appreciate the fact that you brought up that leaders are not immune to this. Oh, far from immune. I, I, I wouldn't claim that they're hit more than anyone else, but I certainly wouldn't claim that they're hit less. I, I have encountered striking numbers in my own experience, and they were striking to me. I, and it, as I believe you know, it came out of doing podcast interviews and discovering that of my first 60 guests, 40 of them shared their experiences with suicide attempts or with seriously considering suicide. And that caused me to send an email to 300 entrepreneurs that I know, 300 people who in general are pretty successful, who are engaged, who are positive, who are bringing light to the world. And I asked them only two questions. Number one, do you suffer or have you suffered with anxiety and depression? 70% said yes. And the second was, have you ever attempted or seriously considered, and I defined that, attempting suicide? And 30% openly in an email, in a, in a four-line email or five-line email said yes. I agree. This is the largest epidemic or pandemic that we, that we could encounter because it, does, it spares no one. And it is around the world in every society. I speak to people consistently in somewhere around 30 or 40 countries. It doesn't skip and it doesn't miss. And anything that we can do to help prevent that is within the passion of mine for sure. Well, there we go. So that, that, that's so powerful that you even dared to ask that question because to send out an email asking a question of that nature is not something most people are willing to do. 
Yeah. Well, I, I can't say that it's something that I might have been willing to do before that. And I, I was so moved as I looked at patterns. I see patterns in society and numbers and whatever that I look at. And I saw this pattern in the podcast and I was compelled one night that you need to do it. And I've one of the things that I've learned in my life is that if I feel an internal resistance, it means I probably should do it. I felt a lot of internal resistance to sending that email. I typed it and I deleted it and I typed it again. And I said, all right, they're going to perceive this wrong. And, and then I, I just, I just pressed send it. I just I did it. And I, I just asked them all and I was blown away. I'd been blown away by the responses on the podcast and I'm thankful for the relationships that I have in the world and for how willing people were to be open. And it was amazing to me, the response, I was blown away by that. And also by how many were eager for a conduit to speak, but weren't necessarily willing to create that conduit on their own. So I love particularly what you're doing here. Oh, well, thank you. Um, I, I really um, appreciate that. When I started this idea for the suicide prevention show, I had zero, I mean, and I do mean zero, I had zero interest in talking with people who had attempted, in, uh, in talking with people who had risk factors, who were, were identifiable as being in a risk group, because one, I didn't feel qualified, scared the crap out of me was, was the second reason. Um, and the third reason I thought, well, nobody's going to want to listen to that. They're going to, you know, and, and I really tried to keep it sort of separate, you know, it was like, no, we're just going to do all of the, the not positive thinking, but what are the powerful things you can do? What are the, right. you know, how do you, how to solve the problem without talking about it? Yeah, well, and it got really confusing. Um, I got <laughs> it told will do that, that I was very, very confusing. Because what happened was I was running a different summit. I was running the Woman Entrepreneur Show, and I was interviewing people about their business skills and, you know, having people do presentations and, you know, more of a traditional summit. You know, I had some people with slideshows. Right. But when we launched this mission last year, I started adding a piece to my interview because I said, okay, you know, what if we make this in service to the mission? So all the VIP, right. you know, will you donate your VIP share? Yeah. You know, so that, that goes to support the mission. Everybody said yes. And then one day I'm like, well, what if I just asked them, you know, Hey, would you stick around for five minutes and talk about why you were willing to, you know, to um, be part of this particular topic? And, and, this is how the suicide prevention show got born is everybody said yes they would stick around we spent 10 minutes sometimes a little longer than that and i was hearing the same statistically great stories you know i mean it was like holy crap yeah yeah i mean and and i was not interviewing lightweights you know i'm interviewing serial seven-figure entrepreneurs. You know, they've had multiple seven-figure businesses right. within you know, a space of a decade. You know, the people who are the icons in their industry, they are known as the closer. You know, they're known as, because they have just been in the industry, they're super, super successful. And one after the other was sharing their experience, their personal experience, with their dark night of the soul, with the night they tasted defeat, with, I mean, they all had very different ways of expressing it, but the scale and the scope of this problem became very, very compelling for me. Did for me as well. And a, a secondary reason that it did for me is because I've attempted twice and I never will again but twice in my life, both at the age of 16 and then again, 11 years ago for completely different reasons and completely different situations, I did. And I, I have some both understanding of that darkness, but much more importantly to me, a clear and present understanding that there is always light through the darkness. Mm -hmm. And as I've shared with others and connected with others who have made it through and who are still here, that is one clarion message that comes from all of them is that there is always light from the darkness that's really the reason for the foundation that we're forming as well and to do the things we're doing in the world but it it 
gives me an extra motivation to speak out about it. And yes, is it sometimes difficult? Sure. Do, when I share about suicide, do I sometimes lose followers? Sure. And I'm totally okay with that. I'm 100% fine with it. As I put in a video just this week, if, uh, if you don't want to hear this then, and you're offended by it, then feel free to unfollow me because it's not going to be the last time. At the same point, I would challenge people who are uncomfortable either discussing or hearing about this topic to say that those are the people who may need it most. And maybe there's a reason that they're internally pushing back so hard against it. And it might be the exact message they need to hear. Well, I won't argue with that one. When I realized how much of a struggle I had, not just through my 20 some odd years of silence on the topic with, about my daughter, but the last year of trying to, I mean, you know, our first attempt to do something in this arena, you know, you have to hunt on this book to find anything about suicide. Right. You know, I mean, and yet this was the book that was going to launch this, this whole program of suicide prevention. And I was like, all right, the conversations really matter. And then I found on the Center for Disease Control's website, a little line that said, refusal to talk about suicide is in and of itself a risk factor. And I went, oh. Yeah, when you shared that fact when we spoke before, that connected with me. I'd not heard it put that way, and it struck me to the quick. Yeah, so let's go where angels fear to tread. <laughs> you know, because we're, while you're delightful and willing to share all of your stories, the story that many people have told themselves is that if I'm successful, my life will be perfect. And I know that's not what you lived. No. And I, I would say that that comes from two different spots, both because of the challenges that I encountered in my, in my own mind and my own, as my own perspective narrowed in each case. And also because my definition of success was as most people's is, in my opinion, really screwed up. <laughs> and it, All right, well, it, let's, let's yeah, start so, at the beginning. Yes, you know, ma'am. Uh, be, because that was a challenging statement, but I'm not going to let you shortcut that. <laughs> All right, come on, lay it on us, Dan. Sure. So my, when I was younger, I, I, I like to share a little bit of backstory because it leads to where I was and, and there's a there's a phrase that's connected with my first suicide attempt that really it bothers me but it's accurate it is what i would call my normal suicide attempt it is the it's the one that's been as normalized as as so many because it was when i was in my teens when i was younger i, went, I was hidden from my father from when i was 2 until when i was 8 and then I was taken out of that. When I was taken out of that situation, I ended up in another abusive situation that my mother uh, ended up in as well. One night, that gentleman came home when I was eight years old and said, I'm leaving and I'll be back in two hours. And if you're here, I'll kill you. And so we left and we went out of that and we ended up living in poverty. And we were connected with my father who was not in poverty, but I was connected with him. I, I began a new relationship there, but my mother and I were in a tough situation. It was so much that she was selling herself so that we had rent and we didn't have food in the house. And I was bullied pretty significantly. Kids would break my glasses and I'd wear them duct tape to school for six months. And all of that is not better or worse than how other people have it. It's just my story. I then was taken from that situation and my mother remarried and I was exposed to a lot of different, more crazy stuff, drugs and violence and murder and all kinds of insanity around that. And by the time I was 16, even my closest friends didn't know how bad it was for me. And I mean, by bad, I don't mean my circumstances. Again, those are just my story. Those are, those are practical facts. And 
that, and I'll come back to that in a moment, but the, but how bad I was just in a mental place. And I was so ill-equipped as many teenagers are to deal with things, to have any understanding of what was really going on, to look at, and at this point, what, 30 years ago, depression wasn't a word that came up, anxiety, any of that. I, I think my, uh, my family probably would have said, good, rub some dirt in it and keep walking, right? You're, you're there. But I got to this spot where I felt hopeless, where I felt unprepared. I felt overlooked. I felt just in a, I, I just felt lost. And so at the age of 16, I survived my first suicide attempt and I survived that one. I, I call it normal because I think a lot of teenagers in, in my own included have struggled with darkness in this space. And, and, and a lot of that for me was a, just about a, a, having had a super narrow perspective and, and a lot of lack of understanding and, and a lack of connection and, uh, and a much higher interpretation of the circumstances surrounding me and sensitivity to them and letting others affect my world in a much greater way than I, than I would learn to later. And I was thankfully saved by an innocuous conversation. And I say innocuous because it was a friend of mine who saw me walking and said, just in, in her mind, she noticed that something wasn't right. And she said, I, I want to give you a ride home. And I didn't really think anything of it. But, but I, when she offered me that ride home, I'd been on my way to kill myself. And she offered me that ride. We never talked about suicide. We never talked about depression, but we did go sit and talk for a couple of hours. And I wouldn't have had the words. I wouldn't, I don't even know that I'd have known what to say. I, my closest friends didn't know half of what was going on in my world, or maybe they knew half, but that was about it. And I went, I went home or I, I talked to her. And then what I like to say about this is, is a couple of things. First is that that conversation got me through the moment and getting through the moment is so important because we have this heightened spot where we, we just, we hit that threshold and just talking to her for a couple of hours sitting there got me through the threshold. The second is, and then I will pause for you, is that I learned two things from it that were critically relevant to me and my story. The first, and if I could say this to everybody in the world, I would, that your environment, wherever you are, whoever you are around, that it may have influence but it's the, your choices that truly create change. Mm -hmm. And you have an opportunity to make choices. And in that moment, I committed to making different choices. The second is that, and I would say this to each of you as well, that I was meant to do great things and to help a lot of people. And I believe that's true for everybody who reaches out and grab that. Now, I had no idea what the heck that meant. It took me 25 years to figure it out. But I came out of that circumstance with those understandings and with the light appearing back in the darkness. And it was, that was the first time I really was able to grab onto the light and make choices to move forward. You kind of have to be able to know that there's a light there. Yeah. So for you, a single conversation put a crack that allowed some light. And that's really that's so powerful, Dan. So thank you very much for that. Uh, we've actually adopted a slogan that we are saving lives one conversation at a time. I 100% love, agree with, and passionately support that slogan. And the crazy part is it wasn't until 20 years later that she knew she'd saved my life. Yeah. And I, that's what I would also say to those who are listening, that you don't know which conversation it is. You don't know which moment it is. There are inflection points in all of our lives. I think most of us probably have six to eight of them throughout our life. And as I've tracked mine back, because I'm a little overly analytical, as I've tracked mine back, what I've found is that of the seven that I would claim, four of them came from conversations that there is no possible way that the person that was having them could have known the impact they would have in my life. And they weren't all dark and heavy, but one of them was recommending a podcast and it literally resulted in me starting my company and leaving, leaving my old job. And like, you don't know in that moment. So do the thing you're led to 
with your heart. Do the thing that you sense that you should step through that resistance and have the conversation. There we go. Have the conversation. And that's on both sides of the coin. I'm a firm believer. It's the conversations we avoid that truly matter. So I oh, love your concept that if you felt resistance, it's now you're aware. If I feel resistance, I'm going to go do it. Might not be easy like that email. You oh, no, it's not easy. It's rarely easy. I mean, if it's a little bit of resistance, it's easy, but it's also probably less important. The more resistance I feel, the more important it is and the, that I step through it and the more impact it can have generally. Yep, there you go. All right, so that was one piece of the story. Right, so then we fast forward a lot of time and a lot of craziness. I spent my career learning how to sell and then helping hundreds of other people sell and make six-figure selling and then going into leadership. And I, I'd got married, I had a kid, I, I was a district manager or regional manager, did all kinds of things. This is where we talk about success. There we go. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing the corporate ladder. Yeah. Right? Oh, I kept climbing that corporate ladder. And I, I did the thing. I was, by, by every measure externally, I was successful. It was increasing income. It was worse to first performances. It was, oh, if, if this company was getting a little stagnant like it, or it closed, I went and made a move forward. It was, it, it, it was taking steps forward personally in my life in a lot of ways. Although as a couple of things, as I discovered later, maybe not so much, but that was externally really clear that I was moving forward, that I was, I was on the fast track, man. I, I claimed the prize of youngest to do this and youngest to do that. I don't get to claim those prizes anymore at all, but, but I, but I got to, I had an opportunity to do that. I mean, maybe a couple months ago, I was like youngest to have a heart attack of the people that I'm close to. Like that's, it's about the last thing that I was able to, able to claim, but I would, I was doing all that. I was winning awards. I was winning trips to, to travel, all of these amazing things. I started to get to travel a hundred nights a year and do all of this that you would look at externally and say, that's fantastic. Unfortunately, I was also simmering as I would like to say. Mm -hmm. And I was, and, and if you think of a pressure cooker where the pressure keeps building up and building up and building up, mm -hmm. that was me. And I didn't recognize, recognize that until probably, I don't know, five years after my suicide attempt that's coming up. And I say that because I would have told you at the moment that it happened, the night that it happened, the night that we'll dig into here, I would have told you that it was one thing. I would have said it was this thing that happened right now. But what I recognized is much like straw and camel, that was me, pressure cooker and, and the last degree of pressure that was there. And most of it was, but was born of two things, self-inflicted ridiculousness and ignorance. Okay. And, well, and, go ahead. Two opposite sides of the coin there, self-inflicted ridiculousness, some <laughs> level of awareness, and ignorance, no level of awareness. All nope. right, which one are you going to unpack first? All right, well, let's talk about the ignorance because I think that's faster and probably a little more common. Ignorance is I still, despite what I'd been through earlier, had been nowhere to get help, nowhere to get understanding, had never had conversation one in my life about depression, anxiety on my own. And this is something I really want to highlight because it matters. I had had conversations with 30 other people roughly about their own suicide attempts and had talked a bunch of people out of it. And, and I say talked, I was an agent of a support. They made the decision, mm -hmm. but I was involved in that because I had a compassionate heart. I had, I, I had a connection. A lot of that was in college, but some of it after, and I did that. And yet I was doing it from complete ignorance. I had, all I knew is that I cared about the person and that I wanted them to know that they mattered, but I knew nothing else. And thankfully, in some cases, that was enough. That was enough to connect. And that's, that'll give that to you as an encouragement. If, even if you don't feel like you know what to say, like say something. But ideally, listen to this young lady right here and figure out what to say. And then you'll be even better. 
I really, I had the heart, but not the understanding. And what I certainly didn't have is the self-reflection. What I like to say is that uh, if I can say this, I, that I, I was the, in an, I was the unintentional asshole. I was the guy who had a great heart and that who had no idea how to come across well to the world. And it, and that frustrated me and it upset me because I kept disconnecting with the world. And I didn't realize that it was me with my own struggle inside because I was totally ignorant. Mm. So there's the ignorance piece. Okay. Then there's the self-inflicted ridiculousness piece. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are always the fun ones to talk about, right? Like we, I, I like to say that we find success by getting out of our own way or, or ego is the greatest impediment to our own success. Guilty completely guilty through most of my life and through any, any number of days as well. And the, yet, go and ahead. And all of the external trappings of success. Yeah, absolutely. And, but the question is even, even with those, how much better would it have been had I gotten out of my own way, even just from that perspective, but I certainly had no, I had zero, let me be clear, zero internal trappings of success. Ah. I mean, I had all kinds of, unintentional ego. I had, a, I had a heart that cared. I've never lacked compassion. I've lacked an ability of how to show it. I've lacked a filter. I've lacked tact. I've lacked all of the things that you, that you could lack that, that would make a good communicator and particularly remarkable since I was so good at sales and helping others sell. And I just lacked that flat out, gone. I'm the guy who didn't notice that his wife cut eight inches off her hair until a month later when she told me. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like not, not really paying so much attention. Right. And I built and built and what happened, the, the story of what happened. Well, I guess let's talk about the ridiculousness. So the ridiculousness is partially that, right? I, I knew that there was an issue, but I didn't really do anything about it. Like I know, oh, I don't connect with people, but that's okay. Cause they'll learn how to communicate with me. <laughs> right. No, right. No. Got it. Yeah. All right. So yeah. yeah right. I have the, I have the, oh, look, you know, I have one leadership style. If they can't adapt, eh, they'll figure it out because we're winners. You know, I had all of the things where I'm just making, it's like I'm pouring fuel on my own fire, but I also have these, these, just these unresolved issues. And like, I know that I'm not happy. I know that things aren't really going right. I know that I get lost in the gray. I know that I, because I, I think for me, for me, my depression has been a lot more about gray than just about sadness. I know that I'm not feeling connected, but do I talk to somebody? No, I work harder. I worked 110 hours a week for a while. And then I worked 90 hours a week for a bunch of years. I would, man, I, I was the, I was the work warrior. I'm like, I, I have my busy badge right here. I can prove it to you. I'm super busy because God forbid I should sit down, look in the mirror and actually face myself for five minutes because I might not like what I hear. And I wasn't going to do that. And I knew that I needed to pause, but I justified a thousand reasons why I didn't need to pause. And so then <clears throat> one night I have an argument with my wife. I know nobody who's listening has probably ever had that happen. And this argument was, it was pretty bad. It was bad enough to where all of this stuff that had been building kind of started to come out and she left and she said, I'm done. I'm out. I'm gone. And she came home and I, I'd made a decision. You see, I had a million dollar life insurance policy and it did not have an exclusion for suicide. And I had determined in my mind very clearly that if my responsibility is to take care of my family and I can no longer be part of it, that a million dollars is the best way I can take care of my family. And so I went downstairs and I went to my son who was about six at the time and I picked him up and I hugged him and I cried and I said goodbye knowing I would never see him again. I said a very curt goodbye to my wife and I turned around and I walked out the door and I took the chip out of my phone so that nobody could track me. And I drove down by the railroad tracks with a hundred percent convicted intention of killing myself. 
and I sat there and I, I had learned the train schedule and I was, when I say I was convinced this was the right choice, I was convinced that it was, that this was the one thing that I could do to serve my family. I, 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 I saw no light. The person that I was then, the deep, the deepness of that darkness is so convicted and so convincing that as you'll hear in a, in a moment, in, it was weeks, if not months later, before I believed that I hadn't done the wrong thing by not taking my life. So that night I sat there and for the first time in my life, I learned as I stepped out on the tracks with the train coming that I couldn't do it that I literally didn't have it in me. And now today I will tell you, it's maybe the thing I'm most grateful for on the planet because I look at the thousands, tens of thousands of people I've been able to engage with and impact and help and share light and share a story with. But in that moment, on that day, I sincerely to the core of my being believed I was the biggest coward on the entire planet. And when I went home and found out the police had been out looking for me and my whole bowling team had been out looking for me and everybody had, I was pissed off. I was mad. I was angry because I didn't want them involved. I didn't want them to deal with it because all I felt was shame and guilt, but not shame and guilt for having tried to do it, shame and guilt for having failed. And this is a story that people don't tell. This is a story that people don't share very often. I've heard it a couple of times, but not most. And I, I did start to get some help. Um, I had to deal with the anger because I had a lot of anger coming at me for what I tried and not a lot of understanding. And so it was really on my own that I began to seek some help and I found it. And it wasn't until a couple months later that I recognized how unbelievably wrong I was. How just, I, I was just, I was lost. And how I didn't see what I would have done to my family. I didn't see what I would have done to those around me. But, but even more, I didn't see that I wasn't fulfilling what I'm meant for in the world and that I was giving up not only on the light that I could see, but on the light that I could bring. Mm -hmm. And over the years, it's become that much more transformative. And as I've spoken to so many who've been through that, even the ones on the podcast, as, as we share, it's, it's that it's getting through that moment, recognizing that there is always light through the darkness, no matter what. And that the other side, like it's a, it's a, you're in a moment, whether it's a day, whether it's an hour, a day, a week, a month, even if it's a year, if we're here for 80 years, a moment, it's one and a half percent of our life. If one and a half percent of your life is that brutal, but then you go live the other 98 and a half, and you touch people's lives in some way, small or large, the success is exponential. So Dan, thank you for being willing to walk us through. It is very telling that the shame was not about the fact that you thought of taking your own life. The shame was in the fact that you didn't. Yeah. Um, I now have a phrase for that. It's called functional cowardice. I don't think courage is always the appropriate response. And obviously this would be one of those times. Yeah. So the challenge that came next, because your life really took a change then. It did. It was at that point that I began, I, I I absolutely 100,000 million percent did not need to commit suicide and I'm glad I did not. And I never will attempt again. I couldn't say that for until a few years after that, honestly, I didn't, I hadn't gotten to that deep conviction that I hold now and that I try to help others to get to. But what it did do is coming to that crisis point. And I, I do think that there's a degree to which in our lives, we sometimes need crisis points. I would like to see them not escalate to, to anywhere close to this point. But I think if we, 
there's an aspect to which if we're, we need a motivation of change and I, I, with some help, maybe with, with somebody to have talked to or a counselor or a therapist or something, or just a, a friend that understood, I could have gotten there much earlier. But when I, when I hit this crisis point, it broke me. And I think you hear that as I share the story, it broke me in pretty much every way down to, down to, it's just like taking a, a molecule about and breaking it down to its atoms. Like it, it, I was, I was done. And when I was done, it gave me a sense of two things, desolation and opportunity. Mm the desolation of like, well, great. I have nothing. I am nothing. Like where, where am I? Right. That emptiness of, but it was a different emptiness than I'd felt before. It wasn't a lack of connection. It was just a lack of meaning, a lack of like of me, but it gave me an opportunity as well. And I felt this, I felt the sense of it then. And it probably wasn't until years later that I could put all of this together in nice, pretty flowerly language. Right. And in that space, I'm grabbing for what I can, but the opportunity was to rebuild myself as the person that I was, that I wanted to be, that I want, that I was meant to be and that I could be. And I would have, I'd like to tell you that that happened super fast and that I just like, you know, like Legos, I sat down for half an hour and put my package together. I Googled the little layout and, and got it all done. That is not how that went. Ah. But here I am 11 years later. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm pretty darn happy with the Lego picture. But it wasn't the end of the story. And that's what's really telling for me. Because you came into a period of time where you really enjoyed your life. Yeah. I mean, I, I went forward and, and part of the rebuilding was the ego was gone. It was obliterated. So all of the, all of that struggle, like there, there was, there was no ego left. And I went through, I went through a whole paranoia about that of making sure like, I don't want to, I don't want to, I want whatever I do. I don't want to show the ego. I don't want to have that ego. And my heart to serve, to serve was really born, but I was still in this corporate ladder and I kept rising and rising. I still did that because I didn't know any different, right? And not only that, but I I look back now and say that was to equip me as well, but I was unhappy there. And eventually I I had, thanks to a gentleman at the karate school, one of my inflection points, he asked me to listen to a podcast and I did. And I listened to that podcast and I realized that through this whole time, even through the rebuilding, I hadn't been feeding in, that I'd been empty. That I was, that I'd been teaching and giving and caring and all of that, but that I was empty. And now I teach about self-care because like this moment strikes so strong with me of the first moment that I really legitimately did something that was in, that was like intentionally self-care of some form. And I fed in and I was just lit up, but I was also lit up with, Hey, I start to have some idea of where I'm meant to go in the world. 25, nothing like 25 years later, right? I mean, I'm, you know, you get there. This was five years ago, six years ago now. And I, I started making a plan like, well, what am I going to do? What am I going to do next? And I looked and said, I, I know that I either need to do something or admit that I'm not going to do anything. So when my bosses flew in to offer me my third promotion in five years, I sat back, looked at them and said, what would it look like if I declined? I walked away from all of the dream to go to zero. I walked away from more money than I could have ever imagined making and managing thousands of people and hundreds of millions of dollars to go to zero, to do what I knew I was meant to do in the world and to help people in a very different way and, and to connect with my purpose and to serve. And from that moment until now, while there has been struggle and while I've still dealt with my own depression and anxiety, part of why I speak out about it in different ways, although I'm far more equipped and far healthier and far, I know that things will pass and it's more mild, all of those things. But I've been living what I'm meant to do in the world. And I have found not only joy, but peace. I heard your seven, the seven steps this morning, the negative seven to seven. And I was like, yeah, climbing that ladder on that. That is, uh, that, that's really cool. And to see that I have, I can't say that I consistently feel every one of those top few, but I live in the top half of that ladder when I spent my, a lot of my life in the bottom half of that ladder. 
and knowing that there's joy and peace there. Now, have there been some challenges? Yeah, there's been a really crazy challenge this year that I think comes out of that too. I, we, I think we get tests in our life to validate. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Now that's probably the mildest language (laughs) you could wrap around something. (laughs) We get tests in our life to validate. Oh yeah. Uh Uh-huh. And the truth was? Yeah. The truth was I'm on the right path. (laughs) <laughs> that is the that is the truth. Earlier this year, I, I I I said out loud, I have found my personal resonance, and I did it on the day that my definition of success changed, which I want to make sure we touch on for a moment. But that was like the last step in finding my personal resonance. There were five steps that I share about that: finding your north star, being among them, and really knowing what you're meant to do in the world, and and getting your why, what, how statements, all of those things. But the last step of it was I knew it happened when I, when my, in my personal definition of success changed. I went from earlier and when I was young, I was like, oh, go get the money. You know, that's what we're taught. I took the stories of my family, especially since they had none. I was like, darn it, I'm going to get the money. Then I went to get the things and then I went to serve people. And I went to serve more people. How do I help the most amount of people? And that sounds great. And that's great as a goal and a mission. But as a definition of success, it's problematic (laughs) because you won't directly achieve it. And because that means if you don't help X amount of people, you see yourself as a failure. Raising hand, because that was me. Ah. So earlier this year, what I finally recognized, and this is one of the things I help people recognize at the core of my being, is that success for me is living the purpose that you're meant for every day in the world. And that if you're doing that, no longer do you have to chase anything because you can, and I can right now look you in the eyes and say, I am successful right now. For the first time in my life, I can confidently say I am successful in this moment, in this day, because I'm living the purpose I'm meant for in the world. And that is the coolest feeling in the world. And by the way, things started flowing to me instead of me having to fight for them. So I got all that and I was super excited, right? And then about a month later, as life is wont to do, I wake up one morning thinking, well, actually, I didn't wake up. I went to bed one night thinking, everything's great. I wake up one morning with pain and burning in my chest beyond what I've ever felt. Mm. And at 46 years old, I had what I hope I won't be able to say is my first heart attack. And what's really cool about it, because there are a lot of things that aren't. (laughs) Yeah. The first... Right. The first thing that's really cool about it is that I'm alive and here to share. And I'm incredibly grateful for that. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm endlessly grateful for that. The second thing, and this was what really, we talked about, I talked about validation, right? The test for the validation. I was laying there on the operating table and they're cold. If you haven't laid on one recently, that room and that operating table are cold and they are merciless too. They're like, yeah, it's cold. I'm like, great. Thanks. Uh, I, but I, I laid there and I had some fear because we were, they, I mean, they'd given me some odds and some things were pretty rough and I had to have three stents and I had a hundred percent blocked artery and none of that was a lot of fun to hear. And so I had some fear, but what I really had, the overriding thing that went through my mind while I laid there is, man, I'm incredibly appreciative for the 90% of my things that are good in my life right now. Like in that moment, that is sincerely what I was thinking. And if I could claim a victory in life, that was a victory moment right there. That that's what I thought. The second thing I thought that was ran through my head was, I mean, other than I want to get out of here and this would be great to be over was that I was super appreciative that this would probably allow me to connect to at least a few people that I wouldn't have been able to before and serve a few people and knew that if it did, if, if it allowed me to serve even a few more people and help be a light for a few more people, that it was entirely worth it. And that is the turnaround from how success really broke my heart and nearly took my life on more than one occasion 
to me coming and knowing that I'm living the purpose I'm meant for in the world. And my, my message to so many would be that you can absolutely do the same. And not only can you, it's just a choice away. So the thing in that sentence is about deciding what success is. Deciding to be what, Dan? I want you to unpack the word this in that sentence. You, know, you can do this. You're one choice away from this. What is this? From, from a fulfilled life, from living. Got it. Okay. But I would, I would say for me, success and fulfillment are very connected. Hmm. And most, I find that most people that I, that I connect with myself for most of my life, I was searching for fulfillment and I didn't know what the heck it meant. And you can absolutely have that. And here's another newsflash. It's okay if that fulfillment means something different for you than it means for Jackie or me or somewhere else. But the only way that you have fulfillment, the only way you can, you can encounter it is by being here. Well, that's true. All right. So this is an injunction to stay because the journey is worthwhile. It is. It is beyond worthwhile. And it's worthwhile for you and so many others. The light that we have in the world is more powerful than we can connect with, I think, at any point in time. And every, I, I've connected with so many amazing people in the world and see what they're doing. But here's what, I, here's what I've learned. Every single person has a story. Mm -hmm. The story is the most unique thing we have. It's also the most powerful. And our story can connect and support people that nobody else's can. And so every single person matters. Every single one of us has a light that matters, that is, that is unique, that's incredible, and that will touch others in a way that nobody else can and is needed, desperately needed to shine. Well, it is. It is absolutely desperately needed. And no one else has the light that any individual has. That's right. And so, Dan, love the fact that you came through this whole journey and this stubbornness that you had to hang on to a definition of success that didn't serve you. Yeah, um, it's, it's one of the things that is, by the way, it's actually a really well-documented phenomenon that people who have been in high type A, high achieving jobs, and then they decide to go for their purpose and they leave that behind and they go for their purpose or they retire and they start their next chapter. You know, with the body goes into shock and heart attacks are very common when you yeah, You that. shared that with me and I hadn't heard that and it, it makes sense. I wish it didn't, but it does. And I, I had never heard that before you shared it. There's a couple of risk factors of certain things that most people don't even think about. And that's one of them is when your body has been so used to adrenaline and cortisol that when you start depriving it of that without a wean down period, the body goes into shock and the heart takes the biggest hit. Well, most type A people in my experience live in crisis mode for 10, 20, 30 years. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was if you're working 90 hours a week and you're doing everything under a high stress level, you, you've drained your body of anything other than crisis mode survival. And that was me for certain. Yeah. So the fact that you survived coming out of that. So this is just an injunction to anyone who's a type A personality and driven, or you know someone who is, they, they need to have some wind down period. They need to step this down. They need some intervention or they need to have an immediate challenging project. And this is the plan for it scenario. If you're type A and you're thinking of retiring or fulfilling your purpose, make sure you plan to challenge yourself really hard right away so that you can allow your body to shift the sources of adrenaline. Um, adrenal fatigue is a thing now, it didn't used to be. You know, nobody talked about blowing out their adrenals in the previous generation, but now it's a thing. And so we'd like to make that a thing of the past as well. And as we start to wind this up, I have this most amazing thing that you have put and given as a gift. And I want to make sure we get this in here. 
It is the foundations of leadership. It's a personal growth training from you. And I super, super appreciate that, Dan. That is just such an amazing gift. So it's an hour and a half. It is consume at your own pace. Um, it is. Yeah. It's, it's a wonderful thing. So we'll get that link and it'll be in the show notes for anyone who's listening to this later. You know, you said something that was very telling and it was about the emptiness. And so thank you, Dan, for being willing to come on the show and share that journey to help fill us up. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me here. I absolutely adore you and could not support what you're doing more than I, more than I do. I, anything that we can do that can be a light to those in need and a breath of relief to move through the moment or to prevent the moment from ever occurring, which is my, my favorite thing about your passion is to, oh. is to get there before the moment. I, I've been speaking about that since we, since we first connected and sharing with so many others. I really, I, I love oh. this. And I, I love the fun. Thank you. And I just realized I have news for you. Okay. Yeah, we have a um, October 14th is the next round of suicide prevention advocate training. And we have opened it up to teenagers ages 14 and up. And we're creating the partnerships that will allow teens to become peer advocates. And I'm not teaching. One of my senior students is teaching it. Oh, she is that's awesome. all excited. Um, she has wanted to be back in front of the room. She was a teacher in, in an earlier incarnation. And so what I'm doing next is the next class, which is from self-sabotage to self-empowerment. And that six-week course is also launching October 14th. So just so you'll know, I haven't been holding still since you and I talked to you. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I'm glad to hear of the fantastic things that you are doing. And I'm, and I'm thinking of the teen training there and thinking, mm, my son may be interested in that as well. We've had those conversations and we, we've had conversations about suicide since he was eight and I, it's difficult and important and, and I'm confident has given him tools that he needs to be in a better place. And I'd love to engage him with that to help support that because I know he's had conversations with his friends. Well, there we go. You know, it's amazing and we will make that happen. So in the meantime, Dan, again, hugs to you and thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And same to you.